0: Turn your Bibles to Psalm, the 57th chapter. We are in a series on wonderful worship. And the name Wonderful Worship is in a class on grading worship services. You know, that was a 10 today, or that church always has 11s, or not so much. But it's about worshiping the one whose name is wonderful. It's the worship of the wonderful one. Wonderful. He's wonderful, and we worship him. Wonderful worship. Today we're going to talk about what worship is. What it is. Somebody said what it is. is. Psalm 57 is believed was written in a cave. David the psalmist in the Bible is recorded he was in a cave on two occasions hiding for his life. It may have been either one of those occasions or related to both of those occasions or completely another occasion that wasn't written in the book. The first occasion is at the beginning of his fleeing for his life from King Saul. David was a king of Israel, but before he was king, there was a wicked king that felt threatened by him and wanted to destroy him. And in his attacks, he made David a leader. Who knows that things that bring pressure on you actually make you. Amen. The ceramic in our life, who knows of the importance of the ceramic in our life having gone through fire. Amen. First time was in Adullam, the beginning of his fleeing. The other time was in the middle, uh, after which Saul says, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not going to, you're my son, I'm not going to, Mistreat you anymore, and then he changes mind later. But this time, Saul went in the cave to relieve himself. The old King James is polite. He went in the cave to cover his feet. And uh, so, while he's in that vulnerable position, David creeps up. He's in the cave, and cuts a big chunk out of his clothing. And then later, from a safe distance, in another location, waves the clothing on the end of a spear or something, a stick. Hey,
1: you missing this?
0: And used it to prove that he loved him, he honored him, not a threat to him. I could have, I could have killed you right there. The Jewish legend about Saul going in that cave, that the reason he went in that cave without Checking it out is a spider had woven a web across the mouth of the cave a cave is a hole in the ground who knows that right so there was the the hole was covered with this giant spider web according to the legend and So Saul figured it was safe. Nobody's in there look spiders guarding the place So you know he had the the web moved aside. He went in to take care of his personal hygiene needs and uh, so anyway Either way, David was in the pits, whether it was an actual cave when he wrote this, but there was times in his life when things were tough, and this was written in one of those times. It's called a mictum, which means a song that is to be engraved. So this was something to be remembered. David wanted it to be remembered. It's prayer, and it's worship, and it's reality. He starts off, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. When we are in difficulty, trials, holes, the pits, caves, we need God's mercy, right? When somebody's out to get us, we need God's mercy. When we're in problems that we've caused, we need God's mercy. Good to see you, Brian. We need God's mercy, don't we, brother? Amen. In Psalm 51, David's relating to big problems he caused. And he's crying out for mercy. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For my soul trusts in you. And under the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. Until these calamities have passed by. I will cry out to God, Most High, to God who performs all things for me. I'm going to cry out to the Most High God. There's none higher than he. There's no high like the Most High. Would you agree? He shall, now look, he declares in faith, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up or would devour me. Selah, which means let the instruments play while you think about it. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Now in the Christian life, we faith it till we make it. We do not fake it till we make it. Faith is not denying reality. It's denying the superiority of the reality, but it's... it's, it's Admitting the truth of the current situation, I've got a problem and I need help. So if you have a cold, you don't run around and tell all your friends, I don't have a cold. That's lying, you got one, stay away from me. God, I have a cold and I need help. Earnest cry of the honest ones. Verse 4, my soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. They're just burning to destroy me. Whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. You ever felt like that? That people just are saying nothing good about you and they, they want to destroy your reputation. They want to tear you down. David is lamenting here, and like in so many psalms, he's telling the truth. He's telling it like it is, but not like it's going to be. It's like it is right now. This is how it's going to be. And in the midst of that, here comes revelation that encourages him. When we come to the Lord honest in our despair and pour out our hearts to him, we're not whining and ranting and raving and railing against God, but we're just being honest with where we are Listen to him when you're done because revelation is going to come that's going to encourage you and going to strengthen you. It may be a word that you can use like a sword, a rhema word. It may be as simple as, hey, yeah, but the story's not over. You know, one place David was, was venting, why do the wicked prosper? Then I went to the house of the Lord and remembered I'm going to heaven and they're not. So here he is describing the problem, and then here comes revelation, be exalted, O God, you're greater than all this stuff, above the heavens, not just above my enemies, but above the highest heights, and let your glory be above all the earth, God, I want you to be glorified in everything, more than my comfort, more than my relief, more than my prosperity, more than my dreams and visions coming to pass, more than my reputation, I want you to be glorified in everything because it's all about you, Lord. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Back to lamenting. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They've spread out a net for me to trip over in the dark. And they're trying to push put me down. They have dug a pit before me, into the midst of it. They themselves have fallen. Selah. Think about that. The people out to destroy us, or the problem out to destroy you, may very well self-destruct. Who knows that's true? It can happen. There's a, there's a verse in, I think it's in Proverbs. A flying swallow and a fleeting sparrow, so a curse without cause cannot land or will not alight. Which means a curse cannot land on you if there's no place for it to land. If you've got your armor on, you're walking in obedience to the Lord, that stuff won't stick. You're Teflon, the good guy, if there is. right. But why did it say like a flying swallow and a fleeting sparrow? Because... Swallows and sparrows, if they don't find a place to land, will go to the the last place they landed. They may even go back to the nest, back to where they came from. That's why you need to bless those who curse you because they're in for a whipping like they didn't want you to have when it comes back on them. People do reap what they sow, and they need God's mercy. Years ago, I was... um, cleaning my driveway off, and I noticed a pile of ashes in the corner of the driveway with a little arm and another little arm and a little leg and another little leg from what had been a teddy bear, maybe a panda bear, of some sort of stuffed animal, and a pile of ashes in the middle. So someone had set fire to the body and head of a little stuffed creature on my driveway. I mean, the driveway was scorched there. And they didn't mean for the evidence, I guess, to be left behind. And I saw that, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to pray. Lord, if somebody's trying to work witchcraft on me, I know it's not going to stick. Would you have mercy on them? Because if they continue in this vein, it's not going to be good for them. It's going to destroy them. While they may think they're getting control of the elemental spirits of the earth, that's the temptation, those things slowly are taking control of them, and one day they'll lose the will to live, and maybe even end it all. Remember the story of Jesus casting demons out of the demoniac in Gadara, and he gave them permission to go into two thousand pigs. And the Bible says, the pigs ran off a steep place into Galilee and drowned. You know what's so mysterious about that story? Pigs can swim. They float. Who knew pork was lighter than water? But they can swim. I think they committed suicide. They were no match. Their little wills were no match for the will of demons. Destroyed them. Where do the demons go after that? I don't know and I don't care. They're not sticking here. So those that are out to get you will sooner or later fall into their own mess. But what do we do? Verse 7 My heart is steadfast. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp, that's stringed instruments. I will awaken the dawn. I'm going to get up early and put my steadfast heart to work in praising the Lord. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. Verse 9, I will sing to you among the nations. I'm going public. I'm going international. I am going to worship God. I'm going to come out of this, and folks are going to know about the goodness of God. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. I mean, here we are, how many centuries later and thousands of miles away, and we are hearing David this morning reading in another language his worship of God. Did it not come to pass for him? For your mercy reaches to the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Thank God for his mercy and thank God for his truth. Mercy without truth will lead you down a path of destruction. And truth without mercy will destroy you. Truth exposes lies. Truth exposes sin. Truth exposes the need for justice. But thank God mercy came, robed in flesh, and paid the price for us so that God's truth would bring life and not death because of his mercy. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that your word would bring life to all in this room and beyond. Lord, it is said that we will remember maybe 8% of what we hear the following day. Lord, may that not be the case today. In Jesus' name, amen. Wonderful worship is What it is not is where we'll begin and then we'll declare what it is. Wonderful worship is not dependent on pleasant circumstances. What is wonderful worship dependent upon? It's dependent upon the one who's wonderful. The one whose glory is above the heavens. The one whose mercy and truth is everlasting. Not dependent on what I desire. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 is the second shortest verse in the Bible. Every kid in Sunday school wanting to memorize a verse and get a quarter will memorize John 11:35, the shortest verse. Jesus wept. Here's the second one. Rejoice always. Not some of the time. Not when it's easy, but always. Rejoice. Rejoice. Tim Wilson, missionary to Mexico. Tim and Emma, been there for years. Anytime you cross paths with Tim, his greeting word is rejoice. (laughs) You know he's going to say it. Always rejoice. Celebrate. Pray without ceasing. Always pray. I shared in the first service, some people don't do this. And then when something tough happens and they need to pray, they won't do it. Because they don't feel worthy. Well, I haven't been a person of prayer and I'm just going to have to tough this one out. No. <laughs> oh, use this as an opportunity to repent and run to the throne of grace to find help in time of need and pray, pray, pray your problems away. Amen. In everything, give thanks. In everything. In a cave, in a hole. On a mountaintop, in the valley, in the water, on the water, under the water, give thanks. There's always something to give thanks for. Always. Martin Luther King Sr. survived some serious disasters. When asked how he made it, he said, You got to be thankful for what you have left. He lost his famous son, Martin Luther King Jr., to assassination another son to a mysterious death. He drowned in his own pool at like 2 a.m. in the morning. I mean, something's fishy about that, no pun intended. And then he lost his wife. One Sunday when he wasn't at church, his wife, at their, at their church where he pastored, his wife was there playing the organ and a crazed gunman came in looking for him and shot her dead in front of all the people. Yet he kept on going. They were asked, how can you do this? She He says you've got to learn to take account of what you have left. You've got to learn to rejoice in what you have left. The person who took everything, the fire that took everything, didn't take everything. They can't have your dignity unless you give it to them, right? They can't have Jesus. They can't have your eternal life. They can't have your faith and your hope. They can't have your victory if you hold on. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now notice, this is all one sentence. What is the will of God? Oh, I wish I knew the will of God. What is the will of God? I think I'll chase this prophet and that prophet. And I mail this guy $5 and that guy $20. I think I'll get... I'll get some holy water or some precious oil or I'll run to a conference or even go to the Holy Land looking for the will of God. Here it is. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks. And out of that will flow understanding with what you need to do. Not throwing rocks at going at conferences, but you need to know what God's will is before you go giving thanks always for all things. Always. All things, always, all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we do this? It's a discipline. It's a discipline. How do I give thanks for everything? Well, I give thanks for the blessings, right? How do I give thanks for sin? Well, you give thanks in the fact that the story's not over. give thanks in the fact that we serve an almighty God according to uh, Romans 8 that makes Everything worked together, not individual things, but everything worked together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Theologians have been arguing for centuries about what predestination is and what it isn't. And... Um, They miss the whole point. The point of it is us to be conformed to the image of God's Son. We give thanks. The story's not over. That I'm on a road going somewhere to be made like Jesus. Amen? If nothing else, I'll learn not to touch a hot stove. Wonderful worship is dependent on humble prayer. He prayed, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. Recognize our need for God's mercy. Not that we ever deserve it, but in his mercy, he he has made himself available to us to run to the throne of grace to find help in time of need from the one who knows what it's like to be human because he is our savior. And yet he's God. From my soul, trust in you. In the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. I'm going to come under Now, I understand that scripture a little more, having lived on the mission field with chickens on the mission's base, where hawks would come in and snatch up a chick and take off. So when a hawk was seen overhead, the hens would go to, just hollering and doing their chicken language, and all the chicks would come running to them. And she would spread her wings out. She's too big for the hawk to, to catch, to protect them and the last chicken gets eaten, usually, or the disobedient one. We run to the Lord in the shadow of his wings. You know this is metaphorical. I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Wonderful worship is dependent on earnest prayer. It's not just saying our prayers, it's praying our prayers. From our heart, I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things. Catch it, we're just running back through the psalm. Beautiful truth. Wonderful worship is dependent on praying in faith, not praying in unbelief. God, I know you're able to help me, and I'm crying out to you for your help. He shall send heaven, send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. So The story's not over. He's hearing my prayer. I know change is going to come. Selah, think about it for a while. Yes, in light of that, God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. There's a sword for him to use, even in a cave with an army out to kill him. God's going to send his mercy and truth, and I'm going to tell myself the truth. I'm going to remind myself. I'm going to fight off discouragement with this truth like a sword. You know, when Job came under attack, Satan did all the Lord allowed him to do. Well then Satan inspired some comforters to come. One of them even quotes what an evil spirit tells him. And they really bring Job down. In the midst of that despair, he gets a revelation. But then they keep badgering him and he gets away from it. and he too starts venting and ranting against God. And then God comes along and corrects them all. But in the his despair, he, he gets really honest with God like David. You know, my breath is terrible. Little children, run from me. My wife doesn't want anything to do with me. In other words, my life sucks. And then suddenly he has an epiphany. And his next words are, I wish these words I'm about to share were written on stone with an iron pen. And then here it comes. I know that my Redeemer lives. And in my flesh I shall see God. In other words, he didn't know how redemption was going to come. He only knew he needed it, right? But he suddenly knew. But my Redeemer's alive. You may not know how your redemption is going to come, but you can rest assured your Redeemer lives. You may not know how healing is going to come, but rest assured your healer lives. You may not know how restoration is going to come, but. Stand on the promise that the restorer lives. How is salvation going to come? I don't know in this situation, but the Savior lives. How is victory going to come? I don't know, but the champion lives. I think you got the point. Like my mom, she could go on and on and on and say, okay, mom, I got it. Or go ahead and spank us. No more preaching, please. (laughs) Wonderful worship is dependent on praying honestly. My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. They're preparing a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They're trying to knock me down. They have dug a pit before me. And then here's the epiphany. In the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. You know, people do not sin and get by with it. Never take God's mercy as a license to do wrong. Understand, he's giving you a chance to repent before the hammer falls. Oh, boy, would it ever fall. And in history, we see it. In history, God is so merciful in the corporate realm, it sometimes his justice takes, takes seems like centuries. Oh, boy, when the hammer falls, does it ever. And you know what, even then, people will not repent. Wonderful worship is when we seek for God's glory. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, verse 5. It ends with the same words. Let your glory be above all the earth. As I said before, not my comfort, not my relief, not my victory. I want your glory, you to be glorified in this situation. That's what makes worship powerful. Because we're worshiping the one who's wonderful, whose glory is worthy. Wonderful worship is when we totally commit to praise. How committed are we? My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Your bulletin has this version. I think it's the old King James. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Colossians 3 tells us to set our affections on things above. What is your heart fixed on? Is it fixed on your defeat? Is it fixed on your despair so that you can have an excuse to blame your destruction on? They did it to me. Some people do that. Was it fixed on God and His glory? Don't stop fighting. We shall overcome. Wonderful worship is when we make worship our first priority. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. Now, Sometimes I read some commentaries in preparing for a sermon, get fed myself. I hear other people preach and I think one of the commentaries I read alluded to the fact this may have been David telling his heart to sing to him. And that maybe this was a wind harp. And I thought, wind harp? What is this? So I did a little research and found out that the Greeks, ancient Greece, is credited with inventing the Aeolian heart, A-E-O-L-I-N. And when the wind blows, it sinks. Would you like to hear one? information. Wonderful worship is for the world around us to hear. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing for you among the nations. And boy, did he ever do it as king and as a writer of a big part of the biggest book in the Bible. And we are singing songs based on his singing, his praise, his worship among the nations. In fact, I think it was the Puritans. Their hymn book was nothing but psalms. They called their books Psalters. And they, well, wouldn't you like to hear what that sounded like? Maybe not. Wonderful worship is based on God's mercy and truth. It's based on the one who's wonderful. For your mercy reaches unto the heavens and your truth unto the clouds. Thank God for His mercy. When you run out of things to thank God for, thank Him for His mercy. Thank Him for the cross. Thank Him for the grave. Thank Him for the blood. Thank Him for His broken body. Thank Him for His grace. And When you run out of things to thank Him for, thank Him for His mercy. Wonderful worship is what the Father is looking for. In John 4, In Samaria, a little village called Sycor, actually outside the village, Sycor had water in it at a well, but outside the village was a historic well dug by Jacob. And this woman who'd been married five times and was shacking up with somebody, here's man number six, that we know of, maybe more, coming out in the heat of the day to get water. And she meets the one who's the remedy for all shame. And when it becomes obvious what's happening in her life, she wants to start a religious debate. Some people want to dodge the issues by religious debate about which is appropriate, worshiping on the mountain where where their forefathers worshipped or worshiping in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, neither is the issue. Things have changed. No longer the issue. He said, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Are we, am I, are you, the kind of worshipers the Father's looking for? Does he say, oh, look, angels, here he comes, here she comes, here they come. This is what we've been working for. This has been the plan of redemption from the beginning of time. My people to worship me in spirit and truth. Wonderful worship is what the Father's working for. The psalm concludes with the words, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. In the 80s, It was a well-known song put out by Maranatha and recorded and played on Christian radio by a monk named uh, John Michael Talbot. And the chorus, also from Psalm 57, goes like
1: this. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth be exalted O God above the heavens let your glory.
0: be exalted in our lives when things are good and when things are not. Be exalted in our lives when our lives are easy and when they're tough. Be exalted in our lives when we're in a cave, in a pit, in a hole, or on the highest mountains of victory. Be exalted, Lord. We want to worship you always. We want to rejoice in you always. Make us the kind of worshipers you're looking for, Lord. And Lord, I pray for those here in their life, Lord, circumstantially they there's nothing to see from their circumstances as reasons to give you praise, Lord, because they're just surrounded by problems. Maybe they're surrounded by the walls of a cave or the bottom of a hole. I pray, Lord, that they would see the value of worshiping today, being honest with where they're at, And as they worship you, Lord, I know you're faithful to give them a revelation, an epiphany, a sword to fight through the
1: fog of despair.